We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking MLS is back, NWSL is back, CONCACAF Champions League, UEFA Champions League, Pulisic, DK, Weston, Morrissey, VAR, the fallacy of form, the serpent, Ronaldo, Carly Lloyd, Soccer America, and so much more. But first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, April 12th in the year 2021? I am doing well, but I am not the story today. We have uh, Ruth and Garrig on the podcast, two blockbuster guests. So why don't you get to that and bring them in as uh, quickly as possible? I mean, we have had sporadically, but we have had guests now on the show, but we've never had two guests on the show. And I can't think of a better way to start this trend of having more guests on the show uh, than to welcome you know, two greats, two greats. Let's be honest. All right. Marisa Du and Stuart Holden. Marisa, this is your first time on the show. Stuart Holden, you've been back. And before we actually came online, before Stu jumped on because he needed some time to uh, deal with his hair, Mo was telling us that he was a little perturbed, that he thought he was going to get the whole platform and spotlight of this and not have to share it with Stu. And I let him know a trade secret. Here's what happens, Mo. All right. Anytime Stuart Holden is involved, you end up looking great. So just don't even worry about it, my friend. In comparison, you are just going to be fine. You both look wonderful. Thank you so much for joining the uh, the pod. Uh, you guys listen to it, I'm sure, as everybody does out there. And you know, when we start off the pod, we talk about some things that uh, you know that we are watching, that we are listening to out there. I got a, I got a whole list here, but I I did prep you for it. First, I'm going to go to David Mossy. Okay, first I want to hear from him as to what his week has entailed in terms of his watching habits out there. Mossy, how are you, buddy? First and foremost, how you doing? Uh, doing great, doing great. Uh, not a lot on the television front for me this past week. I did finish season three of Drive to Survive, which is that Formula One behind the scenes documentary. I know our producer, Jeff Hernandez, is a big fan as well. I love it. I would venture to say I like it better than any of these soccer club behind the scenes documentaries that have come out the last years. I know there've been some great ones, Sunderland, Leeds United, but I'm such a big soccer fan and I'm not as big a Formula One fan. So I feel like the Formula One show had a higher degree of difficulty to rope me in. And it absolutely did. I'm enthralled with every episode. The storytelling is great. Our, our boss, Zach Kenworthy, Kenworthy, I know loves it as well. So uh, I would highly recommend this, Alexi, if you haven't gotten around to it. I, I really I, No, it. I haven't gotten into it. I know I've glossed over it and clicked over it as we do. And I said, eh, I'm not really into that type of stuff. But you're saying that you don't even have to care about racing to be drawn in in terms of the theater and the drama that's going on, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I will check it out on your recommendation. Mo, what about you? What do you got for us? Uh, let's see. I, I, I've watched that documentary. I think it's called Seaspiracy, um, oh, where it's yes. like the, okay. I watched the that too. And, what'd you think? All the I, controversy about fishing and whatnot. Yeah. And so I'm always, uh, I'll let you go first before I, but I'm always very skeptical of certain documentaries like that, which are, you know, have a certain narrative. And of course, you know, they're out to prove that narrative. So after the fact, I like to then dig into the interwebs and go deep in like, you know, Reddit. Uh, you're, you're that, you're that guy. You're yeah. Oh because God, you know, I, you're only seeing one side of the story there, Mo, you know, you gotta well, see, but, but you gotta see the full picture. True. But I think prior to that documentary, you've only been seeing one side to that story. Right. So they're yeah. providing a whole different landscape and a whole different lens to look through. So for me, it was interesting and I haven't done any deep dive post uh, watching that to, to, you know, fact check or find my own perspective on that. But it was definitely eye opening and, you know, had me questioning myself. In, in yeah, I, I, I looked at the salmon a lot differently this last weekend at Whole Foods. <laughs> I I, I kind of stared at it for a while and was like, oh, man, should I be eating this? Is this like sustainable? Yeah, then you ate it. Then you I ate it. it. I stuck it on the grill and it tasted <laughs> fantastic. You. Mo, you you know that Stu's got you know multiple tinfoil hats out there, okay? Oh so. yeah, <laughs> he can't fool anyone. Of course, of course. Uh, what about you, uh, there, Stu? Any, watching anything interesting out there? Yeah, first of all, Mossy, as our uh, you know our soccer savant and researcher, I feel like am I on my hat trick here today? Is this a hat trick performance? Uh, third third one on the pod. No, absolutely. You're our uh, David Brenner. Uh, I don't know if you yeah. know. <laughs> Famous. Um, I, I watched the uh, Pele documentary. Now, I watched the Maradona one a couple months ago. I thought it was sensational. I loved everything about it. I thought it was so good. Pele's, while uh, still an icon to me and, and the greatest player, it, the documentary did not match up. Now, I know Pele's an, an interesting character in the same, in a different type of way than Maradona is. And of course, they're always compared and contrasted. Masi, I, I'm interested in your opinion as a Brazilian uh, on, on if you have seen it, what was your take on it? I, I thought it was I thought it was still good. Just didn't match up to Maradona levels for me. Yeah, I agree. We, we, we talked about it a few weeks ago on the pod. I was underwhelmed. I thought like they, they tried to cover too much uh, in a too short period of time. So it felt like they rushed through too many things. And the footage is all stuff I've seen before. I know my, my dad was frustrated with that as well. It's all the same goals that he's seen a million times before. Both yeah. of us are hoping that somewhere there's some like a treasure trove of unreleased Pele footage that we haven't seen before. Every time a new documentary about him comes out, we hold out this hope that we're going to see, you know, different goals, different plays, but it ends up being all the same stuff. And so, yeah, I, it, it definitely didn't measure up to the Maradona one for sure. Boy, oh boy, you guys are so spoiled. I mean, let's be honest over the past year with the amount of television that we've all watched our, our, our bar is kind of low in that we will watch anything. And yet our bar has now gotten much higher in terms of what we actually uh, enjoy. All right. Here's here's what I uh, watched. Uh, a couple of things that you will not have watched, nor will you watch in the future. But um, one is called "England Is Mine," which is a um, a an account of Morrissey. Uh, for those that don't know, lead singer um, for for the Smiths. I did not listen to the Smiths, and I certainly didn't listen to Morrissey solo. But he is a fascinating character and personality, and it goes through his time leading up to even before the Smiths and his upbringing and music and how he got all involved and, you know, the type of uh, 
you know, personality that he is that shaped a lot of the music that he had. So that was interesting. It's not a documentary. It's an actual, um, you know, not fictional account to a certain extent. Um, and then L7, which is a band out of the 90s, they did a documentary called Pretend We're Dead, which was amazing. I'm not an L7 fan, but I really got into it. I thought it was good. Then the one that, that took up most of my, my time, and maybe people have seen this over on Netflix, is called uh, The Serpent. It is an eight-episode, uh, you know, thing here. It's, it's start and finish, so you don't have to worry about, you know, waiting every week, so you don't, you're not beholden to the man or anything like that. I cannot for the life of me decide if this is good or bad. It is either awesome or it sucks, and I just can't figure <laughs> it out. I watched every single minute of it, and it is, it's, it's a little freaky. It's based in the 70s. There's all this time-lapse stuff going on during it, which can be a little bit jarring, um, but it, it, you know, it, it, it talks about this, this character who was a con man and was ultimately a murderer and he would poison people and take their money and take their identity and stuff like that. But I do recommend it, although I still can't figure out if it's good. So that's what's on my list uh, uh, for this week. Um, and it's eight episodes too. So it, you know, it covers a long period of time. And, and there was a moment there where I said, I can't watch this anymore. It's just not doing it for me. And yet I found myself returning to it each and every time. So there's something persuasive and magical uh, that's going on there. Um, all right. Should we, uh, should we light this candle, Mossy? Let's do it. All right. Listen, it is Monday. We are recording this on Monday the 12th. This is the week when MLS kicks off yet another season, the 26th season. By years, the 26th season. But let's be honest, the 25th season and last year in 2020 is always going to be that asterisk type of season. And this is going to be, at least for the foreseeable future, a little bit different uh, than certainly previous seasons, but hopefully we're heading in the right direction. I, I don't know about you guys, but I get excited at the beginning of MLS season. And I'm particularly excited at the beginning of this one because maybe of what happened in 2020. And we're going to talk about some things and we're not going to do deep dives and go through every single team. And by the way, if you're if your feelings are hurt because we're not mentioning your team, don't worry. At some point, we will mention the teams going uh, going forward if you do something that is worthwhile of our attention and of uh, mention. Or, by the way, you might do something that is so horrible and negative <laughs> that we still might mention it here. But we're just going to talk about some some big picture things that are that are happening out there. For you know, for example, and we'll be doing this this week as we at Fox uh, and and all of us here on this uh, on this podcast right now will be involved in this. We got Friday games, we got Saturday games, we got Sunday games. We're on FS1, we're on Big Fox, so we're blowing it out in terms of the uh, the start of the. Uh, uh, the 2021 MLS season. And so, you know, the things that I'm thinking about are things like new coaches. That's always interesting to see how that manifests in this teams, whether you're going down in uh, inter Miami with uh, Phil Neville, by the way, I interviewed him uh, this week. So look for that coming out later on this week, or you're up in Toronto with uh, Chris Armas uh, up there and there's, and there's plenty more. So those are the things that are interesting to me. Uh, the new talent exports, like who's that next player to go uh, and we're going to talk about Daryl Dickey a little bit later on here, but there are plenty of young players that are still being scouted. And as MLS gets into this global market, what's going to happen? Stadiums, new stadiums happening in Columbus and elsewhere. That's always something interesting to talk about. The battle for Texas with Austin coming in as an expansion team. Oh, there's Stu. He's loving Austin. I got a lot, I to, say he was waiting for that. lot to say about Austin. Uh, and then, you know, the return of crowds as we go through and hopefully, as I said, return to some sort of semblance of uh of normalcy uh, going forward with people coming back in that communal type of thing. So those are some of the things that I want to talk about. Mo, when I, when I say the 2021 MLS season, what are some of the things that are, that are, that are, that you're thinking about in terms of what's interesting to you? 
man, all the things you just said there, I think definitely having Austin coming into the league and, and, you know, their first game against LAFC, I think it's going to be an exciting one. LAFC, when they came into the league as an expansion team, they, they took it by storm, right? They seemed to have ticked every single box. They had star power. They had quality on the pitch. They had a top level manager. Their ownership group was incredible. The fan base. So they, they set the bar or they raised the bar, you know, Atlanta came in before them and did a great job as well. So now, Austin FC, what do we, what can we expect from them? You think um, they're going to be they, more, do you think they're going to be more Atlanta or are they going to be more I, Minnesota? Yeah, I, I don't even, when you look at the roster so far, right, they've obviously brought in a lot of veteran players uh, that, have, that have experience within the league. They have a coach who understands the league. Uh, they have supporting director in Claudio Reyna. I'm expecting, I guess, a hybrid. I don't think they're mm-hmm. going to be Atlanta LAFC, um, but I think they will swim i don't think they'll they'll be out there michael felt in it or anything like that i don't think they're gonna sink either but i think they'll they'll hold their own they'll and then summertime will come around they'll maybe add another player in there they still have a dp spot available so but i'm just excited to see them they've done a good job in attracting such an incredible fan base um and that'll be an exciting one for me when when all is said and done who's the best team in texas at the end of this year oh end of this year <laughs> you know what if 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 all goes well, because it's all, it's all on paper right now for Austin, right? right and it exactly. looks good on paper. If it, it looks good on paper, if they can take that and transfer, I, I might give my I might give my nod to, to Austin. You know, I'm I'm hopeful for Tab and what he's doing in Houston, but I think Austin has some interesting pieces, and they still have some potential to bring in some guys in the summer. I know Stu might feel a little bit different about that, but you know what? I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there, stir the pot a little bit. Right. Yeah, the, the battle for Texas is one that's dear to my heart here. You know, I'm a Houston guy. I played for the Dynamo. I don't feel good about uh, the way the Dynamo have been playing. Last season was not um, a good season for Tab Ramos and the Houston Dynamo. They have now even more pressure coming into this year because Dallas are a good team. Austin, I think I agree with you guys. I think they'll be okay. I, I, I think that's a team we'll know a little bit more about. They're always a little bit of a, a, a crapshoot as they first come in. Of like, what does the chem- chemistry look like? Josh Wolf's a first-time head coach in this league. You know, Claudio Reyna is an experienced technical director with New York City. He's done, I think, a pretty decent job from the outside. It's hard to scout these guys and really know what they're going to look like in their first game. But, um, and, and the pressure's on for, for Tab Ramos and the Houston Dynamo now because of that, because you have Dallas, because you have Austin and you're all fighting for, for hearts and minds, as my dear friend uh, Alexi Lawless loves to say. Uh, guys, let's talk about the champs. Uh, I am super high on Columbus. I love what they did this offseason, adding Kevin Molino and Bradley Wright Phillips to an attack that already includes Zardes and Zellerayan, that midfield with Nagby, Artur, and the emerging Aiden Morris. Uh, Stu, you have some unique expertise on what it takes to repeat as MLS champions. You did so with Houston in 06 and 07. So I'll go to you first, but I want Mo's take as well. Uh, do you agree with me that Columbus are a legitimate threat to repeat as champs? Yeah, Columbus absolutely are. And I, I go back to before last season, I think everybody looked at the roster for Columbus that, you know, Bez Pachenko and Pat Onstat put together. And we said, man, this, this team is a lot better. And Caleb Porter is a coach that's experienced at winning in this league. What do they do? They win MLS cup. And I think the most important key to then repeating is maintaining your core. And they have done absolutely that they've kept every big player that they needed. And that was a big part of their run last year. Zellerion looked incredible. Zardes is scoring goals already. Uh, I watched his game in CCL, which I know you did Mo. Um, and they just look confident and they looked a team that that's so comfortable in their own identity. And they've added a couple of good pieces. You know, Bradley Wright Phillips is a great guy to have off the bench. 
He scored a ton of goals for LAFC last year. Kevin Molino, if they can keep him healthy, they've signed him to a three-year deal and they've signed a young Romanian player as well. And I think it's just a really nicely well-rounded roster. Now, one of the teams, I think, when we talk about repeating or just being, you know, a bounce back year, Mossy, Atlanta United, um, you know, they they effectively last year said, look, we've got no fans in the stands, even though they outwardly did not say this, that, you know, they threw in the towel. Let's be honest, guys. You know, Stephen Glass took over to the end of the year. Martinez goes down for the ACL. They sold PT Martinez and effectively just said, you know, we're not going to win this year. We're, we're OK with that. Let's try and get in the playoffs. They feel the pressure. And I know that Boca Negra and Darren Eels over there are feeling that pressure. You're going to have the fans back in the building. And they've made some good signings in the offseason, some signings that I'm really excited about. When you think about Santiago Sosa, young, exciting Argentine player, they have an experienced striker in Lopez, not to mention the fact that the most important one is getting Joseph Martinez back and healthy. And I think it's a pressure year for Atlanta United to be competing, not to mention the fact that you have the team you asked me about, Mossy and the Columbus crew, that are kind of the big dogs in the Eastern Conference right now. So I'm fascinated to see that play out. Mo. Couple questions for you, okay? One on both coasts, okay? Right. You're you're Philadelphia Union, right? They they have built themselves up as this machine that uh, develops talent, but now they're going to have to go back to that well again and replace talent that has gone on to quote unquote bigger and better things in the forms of uh, Brendan Aronson and McKenzie and that type of stuff. Do they have the ability to live up to the lofty heights of 2020 where they won the Supporters' Shield? And then on the other side, a team that was horrible last year in uh, in the form of the Los Angeles Galaxy. I talked to Chicharito this past week. You can check that out too on our uh, State of the Union uh, feed there. You know, he said all the right things, but does the Los Angeles Galaxy under Greg Vanny, a new coach, achieve, go back to the lofty heights of uh, of your? So let's start with Philly. Philly, Philly has... They have a pipeline of young talent coming through. And, you know, although Aronson, massive loss. McKenzie, massive loss. Not just their play. For, for Mark McKenzie, not just his play, but also the leadership that he brought at such a young age. But such an imposing presence on that team. He had the recovery speed to make up for, you know, tactical issues that might have happened that might have presented himself for that back line. Yes, I do think they have the talent to, to maybe not be supporter shield champions again. But I think they will... They'll they'll present themselves well. They'll still be in that conversation. But for my in my opinion, I think top two or three in the East. And when you talk about Anderson, he has a younger brother. Alexa, I mentioned him to you earlier yeah. last year. He has a younger brother coming through, a talented young player. I hope he gets some minutes. Anthony Fontana is going to probably slide in at that as that number ten to fill Aronson's shoes. He's a player that I had a that I got to watch. You know, hungry young kid. He has that work rate. He has that ability. We saw him last year score the goals he scored. I think, yes, I think Philly will be up there again. Now, when we go to the West Coast and we talk about Galaxy, I don't know. Um, Chicharito obviously has a lot, a lot, a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. Christian Pavone was, I think, the guy that really could win a game on his own. He showed that he was a game changer for them. And now it's up in the air whether or not it's probably looking more likely like he's not going to come back again for them this season. So that just puts even more spotlight on Chicharito. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure they have the pieces. They've added a couple of interesting pieces to that team. But again, I just don't know if they have enough to actually turn heads, um, especially competing now with the likes of LA, uh, LAFC and what they've done to really steal the spotlight in LA. Greg Vanny coming in, I have confidence in him as a manager. He's brought in Vasquez that he had success with in Toronto. That'll be an intriguing piece for them. But overall, do I think that they're going to make a big impact this season? I'm not so convinced. 
Interesting. I disagree. With you. I, I disagree with Ooh. you. I think Philadelphia is going to go down, and LA Galaxy is going to go up. So, we'll yeah, but, but the Galaxy were so far down before; they only have room to go up, basically. Right. Hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm I'm, is that a hot take, Lex? Is that a hot take? It's not. And hot. when I'm speaking of Galaxy, I'm talking about Galaxy that we. What if you talk to the outside world, and when you hear the word Galaxy, they have a certain image in their head. Will they get back to those heights? No, not not this season. I don't think so. And guys, when Alexi mentioned before all the new managers, there's long been this notion that you're better off hiring a manager who has an understanding of how MLS uh, works rather than bringing in somebody from the outside. Now, Tata Martino and to a lesser extent, Matias Almeida have sort of made people evolve and they're thinking about that. But still, we've seen teams go in different directions this offseason. You have uh, the Galaxy hiring Greg Vanny and Toronto hiring Chris Armas, while teams like Inter Miami and Atlanta brought in outsiders to the league, Phil Neville, Gabriel Heinze. Um, what's your take on that? Do you still think all things being equal, you're better off hiring a manager who's who's been a part of MLS, who knows how the league works, understands the rules? Or are you okay with teams looking outside and bringing in somebody? Do you think it's possible for a guy to with no understanding standing of the league to come in and have success right away? I don't think it's carte blanche. I don't think it's as simple for every team that, you know, there's a, there's not a proven recipe for whatever your team is. Right. And I think it goes back to Alexa, you're talking about uh, expansion teams and coming into the league, be, being comfortable with who you are Atlanta United in their first year, they had a clear vision of what they wanted to do, the way they built the roster, the coach that matched along that with Tata Martino. Um, but ultimately, I remember, was it MLS semifinals last year? We had a look around at the coaches and it was, you know, you had uh, Adrian Heath with Minnesota United, been in the league for a number of years. Brian Schmetzer, who's won titles, has been in this league for a long time. Caleb Porter, who's won uh, championships uh, in this league for, for a long time as well and going uh, way back. I'm trying to think who the fourth coach was as part of that, um, the Eastern Conference semi now, which I'm, which I'm blanking on. But Bruce Arena? The- it might, oh, yeah, Bruce Arena and the Revolution. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so Bruce Arena, saying- old, old dog, you know, like, so, <laughs> and, and by the way, MLS coaches, and I, I'm talking American coaches here uh, too. And Adrian Heath, he's, you know, he's been in the States for a while, but he's, he's an English coach that, um, you know, has a lot of Americanisms. They take this very personally, this, this foreign coach uh, label. And I, I remember talking to uh, all of those guys in the pre-match meetings, and they made a point of saying, when we talk about foreign coaches and the amount that some of these foreign coaches are paid as well, relative to what American coaches are paid. And Brian Schmetzer is a great example. If Seattle had hired a foreign, a foreign coach instead of re-signing Brian Schmetzer, I guarantee he would have been paid more than Brian Schmetzer was paid in this last round of his contract. And a guy that has won uh, multiple championships in this league, but it's perception, right? And perception matters to certain people. I would say, Mossy, if you're going to hire a coach, it's even more important that your support staff, your technical staff, your ownership is, is built out in a way to support them. Because a lot of foreign coaches get here and the first thing I hear in talking to them is, man, this league has a lot of rules and man, I, I, I thought I, I thought I could get these guys in. I thought I could get these guys out in day one. Look what's happened in Miami right now. Pellegrini, they thought they could have as a fourth young DP or, you know, this under 22 initiative. Now they're probably going to have to trade him for way less than the market value that they paid him at, but they don't want him on their roster. And those are the kind of challenges that you deal with to really just try to put together a, a successful operation. Yeah, the, the galaxy are really interesting with that because they yeah. take a chance on Skeletto, it doesn't work out. And now they go to the other extreme, which is Greg Vanny. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a constant debate that I think occurs with every franchise for sure. Well, look, I mean, the reason why 
coaches bristle at that and domestic coaches, coaches that have been in the league for a while is because they want their um, they want their experience. They want, to a certain extent, their loyalty to be rewarded, to be rewarded in future jobs and obviously money. But it's no different than the way that we look at players, too. There's plenty of players that are not even close to the level of uh, a, a domestic player that are spent, lots of money is spent on, and they bring them in. They're sexier names. To your point, Stu, it's perception uh, and, uh, and all of that. Uh, Mo, all right, last question for both of you guys, actually. When all is said and done in 2021 in the MLS season, what do you think are going to be the biggest stories? Either something that happened on the field in terms of who's champion or something like that, or just, just I mean, last year, the biggest story was MLS is back, I guess, and, you know, the COVID thing. We're not in that type of environment anymore. It's still challenging and certainly challenging continuing for the Canadian teams. But in your crystal ball, what do you think we're going to be talking about come December? Ooh, let's, all right. I'm going to say LAFC finally get it right. Ooh. They finally get it right. Yeah, they finally get it right. Um, they go ahead and win everything. Everything being, I'm sorry, they win MLS Cup. Maybe they don't win Supporters Shield again, but they have, they get through, they do what they need to do during the regular. <laughs> Why are you shaking your head, Lex? They get well, through. I mean, and do because what they need I can't, do. like, they're already insufferable. And so now can you imagine having won MLS Cup too? What the LAFC folks I, are like? I'm going oh, the other God. way. Uh, I'm going yeah. the other way for Mo here. Uh, before you continue, Mo, I, okay. I think LAFC don't have a, a, a knockout season. I still don't think defensively they've gotten better. I don't think they figured out the goalkeeper position. Um, the X factor, and that would be what happens with Brian Rodriguez. If they end up selling him to the Spanish club, Almeria, where he is right now, and then do they replace him with somebody that I think could have a greater impact? The number nine position is the biggest question for me. And, you know, if they play Vela there, Rossi, that's not a, you know, an out night striker. Corey Baird's not going to win you an MLS cup. Yeah, but, 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 but Stu, they still have an opportunity to bring in someone in the summertime. That's what I'm saying. I don't think this, I don't think they're going to fly through the regular season, but I think when it comes time to, when they get into the playoffs, they're going to peak at the right moment. And I think this is a year that Bob's going to finally get it right. And they'll go ahead and get, they'll be champions. That and would then, be a story. Here. That would definitely be a story. Uh, and wait, look, wait, we, wait, we wait, cover wait, it wait, because wait. it would be wonderful. But here's one more for you. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and say an MLS team go ahead, goes ahead and finally wins CONCACAF Champions League as well. Ooh, yeah. No, yeah. I like that one. I like that one. Yep. Who is it then? So I already, I already threw <laughs> – who is it now? All right. Hold on. All right. Okay. Go, no, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Because we're going to go to CONCACAF Champions League in a second. You, you, you teased okay. it perfectly. God, you guys right. are awesome. All right. Uh, just, Stu, before we go, though, give me, uh, give me what you think we'll be talking about in December. Um, I think we're going to talk about the uh, the reemergence of Atlanta United as a super club. Last year, they were a, uh, a down club. I think that this year they're going to come back with a vengeance. I think Gabriel Hainsa will be leading them to their second MLS Cup, not oh, nice. LAFC. Nice, mm -hmm. nice. All right, well, listen, most set it up. So let's move on to CONCACAF Champions League. I, I got to say that... It, Last week was probably the most successful and glorious week for MLS clubs. And I'm still counting Toronto FC as an MLS club, even though they're representing Canada. But in totality, in terms of the results and the way those results came about, that's got to this got to be a, a hell of a, a hell of a week. Now, does it mean that that, that an MLS team to, to most point is going to win CONCACAF Champions League? We don't know. But who knows? Maybe 2021 is the year that not only do the stars align, but we conceivably could have, what, two MLS teams in the final. Dare I dream of something like that? All right, so 
Uh, first, first things first, I'll go to you, Mo. So you think that an MLS team is going to win uh, CONCACAF Champions League for the first time in the way that it has been structured and certainly in, uh, in, in recent history as to what uh, CCL is. Who do you think that ultimately is going to be and why do you think that? Is it just based off what you saw last week? No. Um, if it was just based off of what I saw last week, I would say Columbus looked really good, Give, although they're playing probably the lesser of the opponents that everyone played, right? My take, and it's not bias, right? Because I could have said Toronto equally as well. Here it comes. I smell a cheesesteak. I smell a cheesesteak. So just looking at the bracket, right? Looking at the bracket and how things will play out, I think Philly is in a favorable position in terms of the bracket, right? They get past this first opponent, um, Saprisa, which is not a slouch. Which is not a slouch. They did a good, a good job to win the first game on the road. So now they have no wiggle. They come back home, do the business there. Boom, done. The next opponent uh, would be, I think, who Atlanta and their group. Is that mm-hmm. correct? You look at the bracket yep. now, Lex. Yep. And I, I, sorry, Stu, but I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say I think Philly gets by Atlanta as well as well. And then their next big opponent would be I think Club America if all things play out the way they should be, and that's like in the summertime. So by that point, Philly should be in good form, all cylinders firing. Everyone's back from injury. They'll have a transfer window as well to add a couple pieces if necessary to strengthen the squad. And I think from there, you win, a semif- you win a semifinal. First of all, you get to a semifinal, a little bit of luck, and you're in a final, and then anything can happen, right? See, so- see Mo, Mo, you're, you're falling into this, uh, this fateful trap that we fall into every, <laughs> every spring. And, That's life. You know, we're going to get the MLS PR emails in a, few, uh, in a week or two and tell us about how well the MLS clubs did in you know, the first two rounds. And we all start to then believe again. And, you know, I've seen this movie before, Mo. It doesn't end well for us. Um, but, but I would say to you, I, I am also cautiously optimistic and I'm cautiously optimistic because I have been burned here before and I don't like being burned, but that right side of the bracket does look pretty tasty for MLS teams to get to a final and it would be at a different time period. The MLS clubs would be uh, fitter. They would be, they would have more games compared to the previous ones. And it's only really club America on that right-hand side that I would say, okay, they can just cause chaos in this whole bracket. And do you know what? The, the Portland Timbers could knock them out in that next round if they get past Marathon. Now we're, we're recording this, of course, on Monday, the 12th, it could all just go to complete, you know what, uh, in the next two days, but I, I would say MLS teams looked really good and confident and fit and strong and composed in away games, uh, even amongst a, a, a lot of shithousery. Yeah. I mean, look, Wait, so who's your pick? Yeah. Who's your pick? Who's my pick to, to go all the way there? I like Atlanta. I like Atlanta from from that right side. Boy, Stu is like all yeah. in on Atlanta. This I, I would I love nothing more than a Columbus Atlanta final. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, I would love a Philly at uh, Philly <laughs> Columbus final. Yeah. There you go. All right. So if, for those that don't uh, or didn't follow it, Portland uh, went uh, went down to Marathon. Uh, I guess we're uh, you know down there in Honduras. Got a two two tie down there. Uh, Atlanta went into uh, Costa Rica for Alajuelense uh, and got a one nothing uh, victory. Even though Brad Guzan got thrown out and they were down a man. Philadelphia Union, as Mo uh, said, went into Saprissa. Not always easy uh, on the road again and got their one nothing victory. Columbus just went down and absolutely crushed uh, Real Esteli uh, down there in Nicaragua and Toronto FC. Uh, which is a big result, by the way, 1-1 against Club León uh, down there in, uh, in Mexico. So uh, a couple of things that stood out for me, not just the results, 
but also the uh, and Stu, you mentioned the uh, you know what housery that was that was going out there. We expect it from Concacaf. It happens all the time, but there was some real guile and maturity in the way that the teams approached these games, the way that they behaved, the individual antics and theater and the acceptance that you know what uh, you got to fight fire with fire. I th- I think that there was you know a real recognition and an appreciation from the outside that hey we're going down into these uh, you know these cauldrons and these difficult situations and I know there's no fans in the stands so it's a little bit different but still you got to go on the road and the field it, uh, you have to take into account the field you have to take into account you know the heat the altitude whatever it ends up being and you're playing against some good teams that feel very very comfortable and yet they found a way to within CONCACAF be CONCACAFI, which is something that MLS teams in the past haven't really had. Where is this, where is this coming from? I don't know. Well, actually, I want to know. I want I want to go to Mossy because you watched all of these games, you worked all of these games. What impressed you out there when it came to these results and these performances? Uh well, I agree with Mo. This is the year. It's been trending in this direction. Uh Toronto yes. lost the final on penalties to Chivas in 2018, and LAFC outplayed Tigres. For much of that final last year, we're up 1-0 in the second half and coughed it up at the end. So uh, the MLS teams seem more up for it than the Liga MX clubs. It seems like the Liga MX clubs, uh, they're a little bit over this competition, I hate to say it. So uh, I think the motivation is, is more with the MLS side. Uh, and as Mo mentioned, I think uh, if the MLS teams can get through the quarterfinals in good shape, then the pendulum swings their way in terms of form, because then when the semifinals and final roll around, they're going to be more in the flow of their season than the league MX clubs. We're going to, we're going to have three, I think massive MLS league MX tilts in the next round here with Portland, America, um, Toronto, if they can get past Leon, would face Cruz Azul, presumably, and then Columbus, Monterey. And so it, it's going to be key for the MLS teams to get through this quarterfinal round. If they do okay there, then I think that sets them up in really good shape. Yeah, I was impressed with all of them. I thought, you know, considering they're in preseason form, they all played uh, very well. So, yeah, I'm, 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 uh, I'm with Mo, I think. All right, so let's, let's put a bow Wait, on like, this. So, can I, can well, I just I, ask? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mo. Uh, Masi. No, I, I was going to say, you, you asked why this year. I, I think I like the characters that are in the stories this year. And you look at the different teams and you talk about being able to match CONCACAF with CONCACAF. Like, look at the Portland Timbers, for example. And you think of guys like, you know, Valeri, uh, Chara. You know, there's no guys I would want more in these types of games than those types of guys, right? Columbus Crew, Zellerion. Um, you look at Atlanta United full of South Americans and guys that, you know, they're like, oh, we've seen this before. Bring it on. You know, we, we can each equally match that um, the, the word I used previously, uh, Housery. And then even, you know, something like the Philly Union, something so simple as that tackle that, you know, made its way around the world the other day. Uh, from, uh, you know, the one on uh, Wagner. Wagner. Yeah, Gleznes comes sprinting across and decks a dude. Uh, Joseph, uh, Jose Martinez is in there as well. Like, you're seeing guys that just kind of, I think, get it and are up for it. And even in the Toronto game, I think that you did, Alexi, I saw a Toronto team at the end uh, that were managing the game well. And Lyon was frustrated. And yes, they had opportunities, but Toronto almost played into that more and they got them to bite. And that's some things I don't think we've necessarily seen as much, uh, you know, not as much of a, a naivety when it comes to big moments like that and understand that's a big part of these games. All right. Do any of you three feel, and we'll put a bow on this, but any of you feel that any of these MLS teams, Portland, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Columbus, or Toronto is not getting through to the next round? Toronto's the closest, I think, there. I think the other ones are are through. I think Toronto's well, that's not an answer. Be... Do you think they're getting through or not? No, they don't. 
they lose. Toronto doesn't oh, get through, according to yeah. Stu. Okay, what about you, Mo? Anybody? I think that, I think everybody gets through. I, I agree with you, Lex. I think everyone gets through. I think Toronto. I agree with Stu that it's going to be a difficult match. That's the one. Yeah. Kind of up in the air, but I think they get through. Mossy. Uh, I think all the MLS teams get through. Okay. All right. All right, well, we'll see. Anyway, uh, by the time you are listening to this on Tuesday, we will already be uh, headed off into those second legs uh, that will, th- will happen throughout the, uh, the week. So you can turn in and, and check us out uh, on Fox because we are broadcasting this tournament as it goes forward. All right, we're going to uh, shift real quick to uh, the women's game because all sorts of stuff was happening uh, on and off the field uh, when it comes to uh, women's soccer, including our U.S. women's national team who continue to prepare for this summer uh, and the Olympics. And Vladko Andonovsky, the head coach, continues to try to figure out what this ultimate 18 is going to be for the Olympics. Uh, a lot of, no one's crying for him. We all know Tata Martino calls it champagne problems, right? No one's crying for him, but there's a lot of good talent out there. So they go over to Sweden and look, the U.S. Women's National Team does this every single time before a, uh, a big tournament, right? They go into Europe and they get punched on the nose by somebody. They didn't lose, but they, it was 1-1 and they were outplayed by Sweden in Sweden. Is this cause for crisis? Is this a referendum on the U.S. Women's National Team and women's soccer? No, it was just one of those games. But it did highlight the fact that if they are not on their game, there are certain teams, a very small portion, but there are certain teams out there that if they come up against them, and by the way, they could come up against Sweden in the, uh, the Olympics that they can walk out of there without the uh, the usual results, which is winning, winning by multiple goals, not letting in goals. Uh, and none of that ultimately happened uh, against uh, uh, against Sweden. Um, congratulations uh, are in order to Carly Lloyd, who got her 300th cap. Uh, a, That's incredible. <laughs> an American soccer legend, a, a, a world soccer legend. And she just keeps on going and is certainly in line to be uh, not only part of the team this summer, but probably starting up top, although uh, uh, Alex Morgan might have some things to say about that right now, but there's not a whole lot of other options up there. And she just continues on. I mean, it's just an amazing, like you said, Mo, it's just an amazing feat. Congratulations to her. Um, we're going to get to NWSL and w- what uh, the season that kicked off or the Challenge Cup, I guess, that is kicking off this season. But uh, first uh, first thoughts, guys, on uh, on the U.S.-Sweden game and in general, this U.S. women's national team as it prepares for this uh, this summer. Let's go to you first, Mo. Um, look, this women's team, as you said, Lex, this is just a minor hiccup. I don't look at this as any any glaring glitch in this team. This is a team that's what I would actually say is this is actually maybe a good sign of what's happening with women's soccer globally. Right. Mm-hmm. That teams are continually to get better. There's more and more talent um, being pumped out there. There's more investment into the into the uh, women's game across the globe. And for the U.S., um, as you said, they have champagne problems. Right. They have a, a plethora of top talent that have already have experience playing in world cups, playing in Olympics, winning world cups and winning Olympics. And then they have young players coming through the pipeline. Now I'm, I'm still very, very bullish on this team. I think we all are. I don't think this is anything to, to really be concerned about whatsoever. Um, it's just another step in the process for them as they get prepared for the Olympics. And this team is, I think they're still training in the right direction. And I just, I'm still in awe that, Carly Lloyd has 300 caps. Can I just borrow a quarter of those, maybe a tenth of those to add to mine? But yeah, <laughs> I'm still excited about this about this team. It's I, I also look at some of the interesting things like the Mewis sisters having a chance to play together. Um, that's such a I wish I would have had that opportunity to play with my brother. But I think the heart of this team is in that midfield. You have the likes of Ertz, you have uh, Lindsay Horan, you have Sam Mewis, you have Rose Lavelle, who we saw turn into an absolute superstar at the last World Cup. So Going forward, this team, I think, will have no issues, um, and I'm still very, very bullish about them. 
You know, yeah, first of all, I echo you guys and just say congrats to Carly uh, to be able to maintain the level she has over the course of her career at such a high level and the hunger. I mean, she she'd been on the scene, obviously, for a long time, but her breakout performance was that World Cup in 2015. And, you know, the hat trick in the final, one of the greatest goals ever in any World Cup final. Um, so it's great to see her every time she's written off. It's almost like she gets stronger and she takes it personally, which which I love to see. Um you know, my, my biggest question, Alexi, for this for this women's team, and you're right, every time before kind of a major tournament, they get this little wake-up call. I think this was Vlatko Andonovsky's first non-win as a head coach. It was 16-0 and before that. Uh, they, they had the tie in this game. They get the late penalty, which was outside the box, by the way. Uh, but no VAR. Nobody's, uh, oh, nobody's checking the tape. come on. Um, come on. But look, I, I have question marks about this team going forward. I don't think we've really had that before because it was last summer uh, or 2019 summer. It was Alex, Tobin, and Megan. And, you know, that was the three. And that was consistent. They scored goals. They caused havoc. Um, I'm not convinced by Lynn Williams on the right wing position. Um, you know, you have players playing in Europe like Kristen Press. Uh, is Alex Morgan going to be fit and at the level that we expect of her uh, and get the, does she even get the reps before that? Um, you know, what does she look like for the Orlando pride when she comes back after international duty? And then, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the, the challenge and Mo said it rightly that European soccer specifically in the women's game is getting exponentially better. There's more investment from some of the biggest clubs in the world on the men's side now on the women's side. And at a point, there will be a reckoning for U.S. women's national team. It, it's not far away. You know, that Europe is getting a lot better. The games get harder. The Frances, the Swedens, the Spains, the Englands, you know, the Germanys. These are legitimate threats to the U.S. Uh, and how do they, you know, maintain that dominance? And it's going to be really fascinating to see them at the Olympics uh, this coming summer because, I don't think it's as straightforward to just assume that the U.S. women are going to win every tournament now. Yeah, I mean, they but gotta, Sue, they I don't, I don't think up. it's they got to keep up. I don't think you know, it's straightforward. Because they, they've based their entire uh, their entire image on the fact that they win and they win relative to the men's team, the U.S. men's team, and they consistently win. If they don't have that, you know, that's a problem. You know, in terms of the brand and the image and 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 the way that we look at it, and from a competitive side, right now, to your point, to both of your points. Yeah, the world the world is changing, but we can certainly keep up. I mean, we still put incredible resources and much more resources than anybody else out there. We have incredible depth of talent uh, going forward, but that doesn't win it alone. And, you know, sometimes you do need a kick in the ass and a reminder that just because you're champions, just because you're world champions, just because everyone tells you how good you are, just because of how good you actually are doesn't mean that when you step on the field, you're going to be gifted the, uh, those types of results. Mo, you had something to say. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Yeah, no, no, no. All I was going to say is I, I agree with you both that it's not guaranteed and it's not a given. And But I think the one thing about this team that they've shown and they showed at the last World Cup is when you ask that question of them, there is so much going into the last tournament about um, the progress of countries like France and the Netherlands and how much better they have gotten Germany as well. And when the questions were asked, they showed up. They showed up in the biggest moments. They had players have individually great performances. They had a collection of players. They had a collective as a team performing the biggest moment. So yes, I think it's great that more teams are getting better, that there's more competition, but I think that only all that does is just inspire this group of players even more. It just pushes them to, to reach new heights and they always answer the question. So uh, I, I think it's great for women's soccer. Uh, guys, I just want to put the Carly Lloyd 300 caps into perspective. Uh, the three of you combined for 167. 
<laughs> Although I will say, I will say, Alexi makes up the large majority. There, <laughs> uh, I will say the three, of you, the three of you achieved something truly remarkable in your careers, which is you qualified for Olympics. Which, is, <laughs> yeah, oh, even that, that, that's not an easy thing for U.S. players to achieve. That is true. Well, congratulations to Carly. Uh, you know, uh, one of, she's a she's not only you know a great. American, but she's a great soccer legend. Uh, she's a great New Jersey legend. She's a great Rutgers University legend. So I uh, couldn't be happier for her. And I hope she has another hundred. I hope she can, keeps uh, keeps going on and stays uh, stays healthy going forward. And we look forward to seeing her uh, this summer at the Olympics. Uh, all right, let's quickly transition uh, and finish up our, our segment here. NWSL is back. The Challenge Cup, this uh, this tournament that we saw last year that was so successful and so popular that they have reignited it 2.0 to actually kick off the season. That came into uh, to play this past weekend as uh, NWSL uh, got off the ground for, uh, for 2021 and their season we saw all sorts of things going on. We saw expansions, uh, expansion <laughs> team with racing Louisville over there. By the way, the, the light show that they have over there at the uh, Lynn Family Stadium Loved is it. incredible. And they had, you know, what, 5,000 5, people or something like that. It warmed the cockles of my soccer heart to see a stadium <laughs> that was rocking. The home team won. The expansion team won. First, uh, first goal in history. Then they had this light show going on. That was wonderful. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? We had Trinity Rodman, uh, Dennis Rodman's daughter, uh, you know, score, uh, score her first goal as a professional as she has come into the professional game and obviously she's gonna get attention because of her father she understands that but she actually held uh, she was she was really it was really interesting in the way that she dealt with the questions that she knows are coming and she knew were coming after it and the way that she really focused in on her mom as to mm -hmm. uh, giving her so much uh, strength and power and, and not that she doesn't you know from her from her father but she knew that all the attention was going to be on her father and she really took that spotlight and put it on her mom I thought that was really uh, interesting for an 18 year old right uh, and then <laughs> let's be honest oh uh, yeah I know where you're going here you buddy kick off a season right and. And uh, you're, you're up there, up there in Portland with the thorns playing at home, uh, home again. And we have this moment at the end of the game uh, with Portland's uh, Morgan Weaver and Kansas City's Kristen Edmonds, where it was a knockdown drag out type of uh, of fight. And it went viral. All right. You have a fight on a soccer field. Everybody is going to talk about that. And it doesn't matter you know, where you are, who you are. If that type of stuff happens, you know, in this day and age, it's going to get out there and that video is going to make the rounds. It it did. It was it was nutty. It was crazy. NWSL is smart in that, of course, you don't want to be known for fights, but they also recognize that this was a peek into a league that continues to try to bring people into that tent and and get people interested. And by the way, they've done a very good job from a business standpoint and the numbers bear numbers bear it out. They're, they're television partners, but this is part of it. And it was it was crazy insane. So thoughts. I'll go to you uh, first, Stu, in terms of the, uh, the the whole the overall uh, introduction of NWSL in 2021 and <laughs> this specific moment. Uh, it was great to have NWSL back. Uh, you know, I watched a couple games that first night, watched the dash, unfortunately, with a uh, a nil-nil non-thriller against Chicago. But it was really that last game of the night, uh, the Portland game, where the group chats were on fire. Twitter was alight. I could not get enough of it. I, I You know, first of all, I mean, I know that moment gets the – most of the attention and it was right at the end of the game, but that was a great game. You know, it was, it was back and forth uh, under the lights up there in Providence park in Portland. And, you know, they had some fans in the stands and it was just, it just kind of felt like soccer's back and it gave us a moment to talk about 
Um, but also took away from from some of the other, you know, the good storylines out there. I'm interested. I haven't seen likes if uh, Weaver's red card is rescinded. It should be rescinded because she did nothing other than take a body slam to the ground and, you know, kind of get up in the face. And actually the underrated part of all of that, she pointed at the scoreboard and said, check the scoreboard where they were winning two to one, hey, there, which I love. On. I there, love there it. There are check no the saints scoreboard. out there. There are no <laughs> saints out there. They're only sinners. OK, come on. Come but, uh, you know, the usual suspects, I think, will be challenging for this cup. Uh, you know, North Carolina Courage looked again uh, really good again. I think the Dash will be in the mix. And then also Portland. Uh, th- those are my three kind of leaders to, to to bring this thing home. But it was uh, it was great to have have that back. And it, it was nice. It just made me like I, each weekend I come in front of the TV in the evening time. In the morning, I watch all the European stuff. But I'm like, I need some. Some soccer. NWSL is back. MLS comes back this weekend. American soccer is making its return, baby. Mo, take us home, my friend. Yeah, no, I echo Stu's sentiments that it's just great to have to have uh, the league starting back up again. And when you talk about the expansion and new teams coming in, and there's still new teams on the horizon. You know, Angel City, where we all live in California, so we're we're excited about about them coming into the league. The fight was crazy, right? <laughs> you don't often see too much uh, theatrics like that, but. For, for all the, I think Stu is right, that it does kind of take away from the beauty that, that happened in that game. But you know what? What I will say is, hopefully that was maybe the catalyst that gets even more eyeballs tuning in, right? If that's what, dro- that, what draws you in initially and gets you to tune in to watch more NWSL games, I'm okay with it. Because in that, you're not going to see many fights like that. But what you will see is, is some high level, high level and the high quality soccer. So uh, it's just may, may I present back. to you that, ta- that that fight was the same as the tackle from Philadelphia uh, Saprisa that actually got people talking about CCL. We had we had go. regular American media members talking about a fight in CCL. <laughs> and that's Nuts. my point right there. Right. Just if, as, as long as it continues to increase the viewership, get more eyes tuned into the game. I'm all for it. And I'm just happy that it's that uh, NWSL is back. MLS is coming back this weekend. Let's go. There you go. If it bleeds, it leads. All right, listen, uh, you guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you can see these guys on a continual basis on all the different properties that we have over there at Fox and even, you know, this week with MLS and CCL. Uh, both Mo and Stu do a great job. Thank you guys for uh, for coming on the State of the Union. Oh, put uh, that away. Really enjoyed. Put that away. Look at that. Uh, Dynamo. Look at this Dynamo. For people that can't see, Stu's got all sorts. I mean, he's got, he's like. Uh, <laughs> hey, whoever f- sends me free stuff, I, you know, I've got my is- Atlanta, Jersey, Minnesota, and uh, Seattle up here. So free Send gear Stu makes it free on the stuff, show. and it will appear in his, uh, in his backdrop. Thanks, Thank guys. guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We're, uh, we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, we're going to take a little really quick trip around Europe. Welcome back again. Thanks to uh, Stu and Mo for uh, joining us for that MLS uh, look and NWSL look and U.S. Women's National Team. It's always fun to have them. Uh, all right, Mossy, uh, we're going to go around uh, Europe and uh, check out some things that were going on because there's lots of other stuff to talk about. Uh, what do you want to start? Uh, well, let's start in Spain, where uh, Real Madrid prevailed in the Clasico 2-1 to one in uh, frigid conditions in Madrid. Uh, did you see how cold Messi was in the second half of that game? Oh, poor little Messi. <laughs> it was so cold. Oh, come on. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was not only cold, but it, it is in, in an already sterile type of environment that we have seen over the past year, just the fact that Real Madrid chooses to play these games in their <laughs> training stadium. And look, it's it's relative, right? So their training stadium is a very nice stadium. But still, it just 
it brings out the stark and uh, and naked and raw nature of the game that much more because of what you're playing in. Didn't stop them. Uh, and, you know, congratulations to Real Madrid. And, I, you know, I was talking to my friend Max Bretos the other day, and he, he couldn't wrap his brain around why Real Madrid is is good. And yet, should we, Mossy, be so surprised? I mean, I know they don't do it with the romantic flair that Barcelona does, but they are still a machine and a juggernaut. And if you look what, what they've done over the past five, six years, it shouldn't be any surprise to anybody that once again, when it all comes down to it, whether it's beating Barcelona in this game or finding themselves back in the top of the table, I mean, it's, it's, do, are we giving them enough respect? And I guess, are we giving Real Madrid and Zinedine Zidane enough respect? Well, I don't think you can give Zinedine Zidane enough respect. Uh, this was a remarkable win, actually, when you consider that they were down three starters across the back line, Ramos, Varane, and Carvajal. And then Lucas Vasquez, who's been filling in ably for Carvajal and was having a great game, assisted Benzema on the first goal. He gets injured. He's now out for the season. So Odrio Zola had to come in. So it was really a patchwork back line. And then Zinedine Zidane, who's very concerned about the fitness of his squad and had one eye on the Liverpool second leg. Uh, in the second half, when that game was in the balance, he made this triple substitution took out Benzema, Vinicius, and Tony Cruz. Now, Vinicius, who had had a great first half, had a lousy second half, so I didn't mind taking him off. But the other two substitutions were remarkable. He brought in Mariano, Isco, and Marcelo. And the lineup that Real Madrid finished this game with was such a patchwork, random mishmash of players, and that they were able to just barely hold on. This was a game of two halves. Real Madrid were brilliant in the first half, up to zero. Could have been more. Valverde had that shot off the post. The goals were from Benzema, and then that Tony Cruz free kick that deflected off Sergio Des, and then Jordi Alba in the back of the net. But the second half was all Barcelona. They pulled one back and then had that uh, penalty shout, uh, which I didn't think was a penalty, but I know Barcelona were furious about that non-call, and then hit the crossbar in the last kick of the game. So you could argue that Barcelona played well enough in the second half that they deserved a draw from that on balance of play. But uh, still a big-time result for Real Madrid. Messi, you know, I love Messi, and I know this is a very, like, hot-takey type of thing to say, but, boy, no goals and no assists in the last seven Clasicos. He, he really hasn't come up big in these games recently, and he had some really good free-kick opportunities in the second half of this game and just didn't connect well with the ball, smacked him off the wall, or the last one went straight into Courtois' hands. So uh, disappointing from him, and so Real Madrid ended up taking it 2-1. to one. So what I get out of that, Mossy, is that you are basically calling Messi a choker when it comes to playing against Real Madrid. Oh, my <laughs> God. That is a hot take. That is an incredibly um, hot take. Uh, so well, how does this all finish up now? I mean, so, now with the, uh, with, the uh, with the musical chairs type of situation. So Real Madrid, with that result, temporarily went to the top of the table. They were level on points with Atletico Madrid, but ahead on the tiebreaker. Atletico inched back in front uh, on Sunday because they, they played to a 1-1 draw away to Betis, which was not a bad result, actually. Betis are a good team, so Atletico were able to get a point there to go back in front. So it's now Atletico 67, Real Madrid 66, and Barcelona 65 with eight rounds left. I still think this is trending completely away from Atletico. Luis Suarez is injured now. He's going to miss several weeks with a muscle injury. So um, I think it's between the big two, Real Madrid and Barcelona. And yeah, I, I, I because Real Madrid have the Champions League to worry about as well, I kind of still want to give the edge to Barcelona. But I don't know. It's hard to go against Zinedine Zidane. This man, uh, you know, that, that triple substitution made in the second half, I was talking to my dad about this, and we were like, that is the move of a coach who's never failed at anything in life right. and thinks that anything he does will, will come out uh, right, and it did. I mean, it's so, you know, Real Madrid take it. So it's hard to bet against him. I think it's, it's pretty much a coin flip between Real Madrid and Barcelona.
but this is fun. You know, this is this is a fun type of ending that we are going to see here. And I I, I agree with you. I think when you look at Atletico Madrid, it's trending downward. Uh, and I think they have that sinking feeling. I think when you look at Real Madrid, is there just too much on their plate right now to be able to fight on on these different uh, on these different fronts? But once again, why would I ever doubt Zinedine Zidane or Real Madrid? And Barcelona is always going to be Barcelona. What if what if Messi just says no? I'm taking this on my back, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna find a way. All right. Anyway, uh, we'll see how that all uh, all plays out. Where should we go to now? Well, uh, let's do a little sort of potpourri of Americans in Europe. Okay. Because this was a big weekend. We can start with Christian Pulisic, who, you know, a week ago when we did this podcast, we didn't know about his fitness. He had picked up a hamstring injury, which looked to be serious. And so we, we went into this whole spiel about how, oh, my God, this guy can't stay on the field. Well, the injury ended up being nothing. And he played in the Champions League game against Porto and then played again at the weekend and was phenomenal, scored two goals and a 4-1 win over Crystal Palace. So Pulisic now is flying. And and yeah, I mean, listen, when he plays, he, he's always good. So the, the issue for me is just his health and so it looks like he's healthy right now and feeling confident again so that's more great news for Chelsea who are already doing very well under Thomas Tuchel yeah, I mean evidently he it was preemptive there was this precog type of situation if, you, if you've ever you know seen the movie Minority Report or read uh, the book about being the ability to see into the future when people, uh, you know, that that this was when he came on the field and had that problem, it was if I play, it's going to break. And so let's not play. And then for, you know, you took a step back and he was able to uh, to play. Look, I don't care how he gets on the field as long as he's on the field. And when he's on the field, he does he does great things. Does this mean that Christian Pulisic is back? I mean, I, I, I think. If Christian Pulisic had been Thomas Tuchel's cup of tea, we would have known about that a, a while ago. But this is great for him, regardless of what happens in the summer. And I still think that there are going to be questions in the summer going forward. I don't look at this as Christian Pulisic has fought his way back and proven himself uh, worthy of, of Tuchel's trust and proven himself uh, in terms of his, his value. I just think that he's there and he's doing what Christian Pulisic has always done when he is healthy and on the field, but that's a big uh, when and if. And uh, then uh, what else? Well, we got? Let's let's stay in England, but drop okay. down a division. Uh, Daryl DK can't stop <sighs> scoring. Found the back of the net again for Barnsley, and they win over Middlesbrough. That's eight in his last eleven. Uh, you know this this point probably belonged in our MLS chat, but uh, Daryl DK is not stepping foot back in Orlando again in 2021. I know they turned down that offer for him, but they're going to get much bigger ones at the end of the season. And I think they're going to end up selling him. So, you know, Orlando City take a flyer on somebody like Pato. And at the time, everybody said, well, if he doesn't pan out, who cares? They have Daryl DK coming back. Well, now Orlando City need Pato to, <laughs> to work out because I don't think Daryl DK is stepping foot in MLS again the rest of the year. Do you agree? I mean, there's yeah. no way. To, this guy's been one of the best players in the championship since. And before. look, you know, it's not just Orlando smelling money. It's MLS as a whole recognizing the, you know, the, the message that this types of things send. I mean, even while we're recording this, Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, is is you know doing kind of state of the league type of stuff as they prepare for the opener opening of the season this weekend. And he said uh, that's a twenty million dollar player, referring to Daryl DK, uh, and that's a guy that we hope could even set new records that go beyond what we achieved with Alfonso Davies. So they are you know they are uh, you know rubbing their hands together. Davies was going from MLS to Europe. So there was still that little bit of unknown whether he could make that transition. Exactly, DK right. DK has already <laughs> settled in England well. And, and then, so so a Premier League club's going to have no qualms about splashing big money on him. You know, why wouldn't he do well? You know, And, and he's and he's doing it, as we've said before, and scoring in 
a league that we know is very, very difficult. And for a team that doesn't necessarily play, uh, you know, a, a high level, creative, uh, intricate, uh, progressive type of, uh, of, uh, of the game. And so I, I'm, I'm just excited because I think he can be even better. I mean, he is doing this in, in the rawest sense of the way that his team is playing. And I think he's much more than that uh, as a player. So we'll see ultimately what his price tag is if somebody and uh, when somebody comes along and decides to pay that. I mean, this could be this could be something special. And I love it. I love seeing how he has taken the bull by the horns, seen the opportunity and in doing so. I mean, dramatically increased his value and how that will reflect on not just Orlando, but uh, MLS going forward. So congratulations to him already. Knock on wood that he stays healthy and just just keep scoring. And it's this is all good stuff. And for the U.S. national team, because there is nobody yet up there, that's one of the reasons why we get so excited about something like this. And then in Italy, um, Wesson McKinney back in the fold for Juventus had some disciplinary issues recently, but uh, he came on in the second half of their game against Genoa this past weekend and two minutes later scored Juve with a 3-1 win over Genoa. In Italy, remember, it's all about top four now. In, Inter are long gone. They won again this weekend and, and they're going to win the title for the first time in 11 years. But Juve are in that top top four race and Wesson McKinney continues to be a, a key contributor for them. So uh, nice to see him find the back of the net again. Huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the players that were disciplined and, and are problem ch- uh, children now come back in and show their value, you know, Duval and, and uh, Weston McKinney. It was great. It was great to see the way he took that goal. You know, he, he does not, he is not phased one bit by the team that he's playing for the league that he is playing, whoever he's playing against. So again, talk about increasing your value. I mean, if Weston McKinney were to be out on the transfer market now, I mean, geez, you're, you're talking, I don't know, 50, 60, 70, 80, you know, those types of, uh, of numbers in terms of his value. So he's, it's been great. It's been great to see him, uh, him do that. And grad- congratulations on the goal. And he continues to rack up goals. I know anytime that an American scores in Italy, immediately, you know, the, the, the tally between myself and Michael Bradley, I mean, he's already passed us a long time ago, as he, as he should. And he has much higher and much more loftier ambitions and goals uh, when it comes to what he is ultimately going to leave as his, as his imprint and his legacy when it comes to Italian soccer. In fairness, he plays for Juventus. You play for Padova. So I know, I get it. And I was a defender, but you know, but I mean, this, listen. you know, it's okay. It's it's uh, it's wonderful. <laughs> I I I celebrate this uh, as much as anybody, and I I love it. I mean, take it and go, and go as far as you possibly can. Uh, and then lastly, on the American front, we hop over to Germany, where Giorena, who's really faded the last few mm-hmm. months with Dortmund, uh, but this was encouraging. He gets a start this past weekend against Stuttgart and has his best game in a while, including an assist to Jude Bellingham. Dortmund with a big 3-2 win. So, uh, yeah, Giorena getting back in the mix here for Dortmund. That was nice to see. Huh? It is. I think it's important to see, too, because, you know, he burst on that scene. And, and I think rightfully so, we were all impressed and started to think about him much more in terms of 2022. And I, I do think that he will be part of the conversation 2022 and certainly in 2026. But if your growth at some point is stunted because we extrapolate it out, right? And it's still on, on paper based on what you are doing right now. And if you have injuries or you just don't mature in the same way, or you get, you know, a new coach comes in or any number of things uh, can happen. So to see him on the field and to see him being productive once again, it just kind of starts up that train that either slowed or maybe even came to a stop at, at different points. 
What else? Uh, yeah, the problem for Dortmund is Frankfurt won as well. So they didn't make up any ground in the top four race. The lead at the top did shrink, by the way. Bayern drew and Leipzig won, so it's down to five. But I still think Bayern are okay there. And then very quickly in France, Lille and PSG both won. So the gap is still three there in Lille's favor. But Alexi, we saved the absolute best for last, uh, <laughs> which is England. Another weekend of VAR madness. I know you can't get enough of this, seeing the tweets from Gary Lineker and people like that uh, just losing their mind. Uh, so we had uh, two incidents that really caught people's attention here. Uh, first was the in the Liverpool-Aston Villa match. Roberto Firmino had a goal uh, wiped away late in the first half for one of those millimetric offsides that when you saw it in the replay, you thought, oh, this is okay. This is going to hold up. There, he's not offsides at all. And then lo and behold, they draw the lines, and apparently he was. Uh, and everybody flipped out about that. This is ruining the game. The game's gone. The VAR, what a disgrace. Uh, so, you know, again, what, what is your response to those people? All right, so that one, if, if you don't want the lines, then don't have the lines. But if you're going to draw the lines and the lines show that they are off and the humans are ultimately deciding where to draw those lines, then I don't, I don't, I understand and I can at least sympathize to a certain extent that people are frustrated. People are angry by the way that this is happening. But you also have to separate out, are you... Are you angry at the laws or are you angry at, at VAR actually holding you accountable for those, <laughs> those laws? And if you don't like, you know, because like I said, the lines that were on the field right then, then fine, do away with the lines if that's what you want to do. But once again, the collective angst and consternation and anger that is just now on a continual and consistent basis that comes over there from England. I just, I, there's, there are smart people over there. They have, there are men and women over there off the field that have orchestrated and constructed and created the most successful league in the world and arguably the most successful league in history. And yet they can't seem to get this right. And everybody else Ken, I'm not saying there's not controversy at times elsewhere, but the rest of the world has implemented VAR in a way where you're not having this constant debate as to how it is, quote unquote, ruining the game. Well, maybe it's something that you are doing. So fix it yourself. But if you just say we, we need to get rid of it and go, well, then you become and I and I mentioned this on Twitter, then you become kind of the uh, the soccer version of one of those medieval reconstructions that people have and recreations of an old medieval city, you know, with a, with a Starbucks, Starburst in that Starburst Starbucks in that it's, it is, it is an art of you're trying to, you're, you're, you're providing an artificial version of something that you are romanticizing. And I don't think, I mean, as you said, the trains left the station, that's not going to happen. And I know there was another incident well, too. The second incident was in the Tottenham Manchester United game. Edinson Cavani scored a goal in the first half uh, in the buildup to the goal. Uh, Scott McTominay, uh, he had the ball and Hungmanson grabbed him by the jersey. And so to kind of shove Hungmanson away, he kind of flailed his arms and caught Hungmanson slightly in the face. And Hungmanson went down like he had been shot. And they reviewed it, and they determined that that was a foul on McTominay, so they wiped away the goal. Everybody thought that was incredibly nitpicky on VAR's part and just a, a normal sort of contact, I guess. 
Uh, did you have a big issue with that call? Did you think that was a ridiculous uh, move to wipe away that goal? No, because of the laws of the game. Okay, number <laughs> number one, I didn't have an issue. Number two, I mean, the people, you know, yelling at Son for for embellishing or crying. All right, again, you can't be a little pregnant. And not everybody that speeds gets pulled over. Doesn't mean that they aren't breaking the law. So this this tit for tat. Oh yeah, but why wasn't this call? Why wasn't this called? Yeah. Welcome. If you're going to do something that is against the laws of the game and you get caught, once again, you can't just say, yeah, but this guy over here did the same thing and he or she wasn't uh, uh, caught for that type of thing. And that it happened on a beautiful goal, I think only, you know, I, I, I think makes it that much more painful for people that you you want that goal to stand. But you want that goal to stand because it's pretty. And in doing so, you want to completely throw away the fact that it was done by violating the laws of the game. I don't I don't understand that. The whole point of VAR was to get the calls right and to see stuff that we that we can't see in real time with the humans that are that are involved. And yet when that actually happens, we have a whole segment of uh, of folks out there that are screaming and yelling and be, be you know uh, beside themselves at the fact that what we wanted to have done is actually being done. Oh. I will say, though, after the game, Soshar, in criticizing Son for making a meal of it, tries to do it in kind of a cheeky way and say something about, well, if he was my son and he did that, I wouldn't feed him. Uh, and then for Jose Mourinho to pretend like that comment was to be interpreted literally and then go on this indignant rant in his postgame press conference about how could a father not feed his kids? And I thought that was such a lame uh, deflectionary tactic on his part. Did you agree that that's all he was doing there, trying to deflect away from his team's performance? He couldn't possibly have taken Sochar literally there. Sochar saying that a father shouldn't feed their kid. I mean, yeah, but but what's the what have you just what have you led with? You've led with his comments. You haven't led with the fact that, hey, Jose, your team lost again, okay? By the way, those two had a fascinating exchange in the lead-up to this game. I want to get your take on this. So uh, the context here is Sochar, as we know, replaced Mourinho on the United bench in December of 2018. He hasn't won a trophy since then. Mm -hmm. Jose Mourinho did win trophies at United. He won two, three if you count the Community Shield, but really two, the League Cup and the Europa League. And we know Mourinho has now replaced Mauricio Pochettino, who... Uh, we all think did a good job at Tottenham, but didn't win a trophy, finished second in the Premier League, got to a Champions League final. And Tottenham have a final coming up against Manchester City at Wembley, the League Cup uh, in two weeks. And so the way Mourinho is looking at it is, if I can figure out a way to beat City in that game, which is possible, City looking a little wobbly lately. Tottenham did beat him early in the season. Mourinho's style can sometimes be an interesting foil to Pep's style where they let him have the ball, defend deep, uh, absorb pressure, try to hit him on the counter. And so Mourinho's thinking, I'm 90 minutes away here from winning a trophy. And if that happens, I can make a plausible case that, hey, uh, I won trophies at United. My successor hasn't. And I just won a trophy at Tottenham. My predecessor didn't. So I've done better than both those guys in that sort of inevitable compare and contrast. Well, Solskjaer was asked a question in the press conference last week about how important is it for you to win a trophy this season? United, uh, they're second in the Premier League, but they're too far from today. Their realistic shot is the Europa League, where they have a foot and a half in the semifinals. But Solskjaer kind of swatted it away and said, nah, it's not that important. This whole trophy thing, it's more to feed the ego, egos of managers. Well, that was brought to Mourinho, who interpreted that as a little dig at him and, and said, no, absolutely, trophies matter. And he said Solskjaer should go ask his boss, Sir Alex Ferguson, how much trophies matter, because Sir Alex Ferguson cared about <laughs> winning everything. So it was an interesting 
little exchange there that revealed sort of where Mourinho's head's at right now, because he does feel like the way he can turn this whole narrative around is by just getting his hands on a trophy, any trophy, even if it's the league cup, are you kind of on the Mourinho side of that, that ultimately the measuring stick is trophies? Or do you think if, if Tottenham finish outside the top four and all they have to show for the season is a league cup, it's a bit of a stretch for him to act like that that was some big success where, where do you come down on that? Trophies, 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 trophies. trophies. I mean, yes, if you can have, both the trophies and the romance and the progress and the uh, the beautiful game and the recognition for not only winning but how you win that's that's all fine and well but you know we were just talking about real madrid earlier i mean they they, they just win they win Barcelona has built on we win but this is we are winning in a specific way and to a lot of people it's a beautiful way all right real madrid has said no i i i think ultimately i get exactly what mourinho is doing and he is ultra sensitive right now because of the precarious position that he is in. And there's some real questions as to when the season is over, if he is the right person to continue on. And ultimately, if he has that moment where they are holding up a trophy, I think it does put him in a better situation to justifiably say, yes, ultimately we can scream and yell and do all that different stuff, but this is a man who is going to get us to each and every year at some point have that moment, that money shot of us holding up a a trophy, which is important. And uh, the top four race in England is absolutely fascinating. I I know City lost to Leeds uh, this past weekend, Mm -hmm. which was Pep versus uh, Bielsa. So it was like a hipster's wet dream, that game. Uh, And Leeds win. Uh, But I still think that there's no title race. Uh, City are too far gone. Uh, But but top four, West Ham are not going away. Jesse Lingard has suddenly turned into the best player in the world. And so they're fourth right now. Uh, Leicester have been pulled back into that scrum. And you've got Chelsea, Liverpool, and Tottenham all lurking just outside the top four. So that that is going to be just an unbelievable race down the stretch. Very exciting. I can't wait. I can't wait. You're um, absolutely right. What else, Mossy? And then let's end with the Champions League quarterfinal second legs. Uh, first up, Tuesday, uh, Chelsea and Porto meet again in Sevilla. Chelsea uh, claimed a 2-0, nice and tidy 2-0 win in the first leg. Goals by Mount, and what a player he is, and Chilwell. And I expect Chelsea to take care of business here and march into the semis. I don't see Porto putting up much of a fight. Uh, but the other game on Tuesday is absolutely fascinating. Uh, PSG will host Bayern Munich. And although PSG have a 3-2 first leg advantage, everybody I see is picking Bayern to go through because anybody who watched the first leg saw that Bayern completely dominated the game. They, they pounded PSG's net the entire time. Nava stood in his head. PSG held on for dear life. And then they just hit him with some timely counterattacks against the run of play. So everybody who watched that game still came away feeling like Bayern are clearly the better team. And if it's that same game again, this time around, the bounces aren't going to all go PSG's way. Uh, and this tie, by the way, has turned into very much a war of attrition. It's amazing how many injury issues both sides have. Uh, and you, so you, you get into this inevitable uh, debate over who has it worse. And because people hate PSG, they're highlighting a lot more of the Bayern injuries, which are significant. I mean, you have Lewandowski out, Gnabry out, uh, both Sula and Goretzka limped off in that first leg. They're probably out. Uh, but, but PSG have some big absences as well. Uh, Verratti and Paredes missed the first leg. Florenzi did as well. Marquinhos, who might be the best center back in the world right now, he came off in the first half of that first leg. He's out for the second leg. Uh, we'll see if some of those other players I mentioned, well, Paredes was suspended for the first leg, so he's definitely available, but we'll see about Verratti and Florenzi. Nevertheless, you know, we've talked about how this pandemic season, it's, it's really kind of a war of attrition. And th- this has been really emblematic about the, with this tie, both these teams just having so many 
players in and out. Yeah, I think Real Madrid has no problem going through. I think Manchester, Manchester City has no problem going through. And I think Chelsea has no problem going through. The, the big game is going to be the Bayern Munich PSG game. And you're right. There are a lot of people that are picking Bayern Munich and you're looking at one right now. Uh, it was interesting because this Bayern Munich team finally went to the well and found it dry. There was just this feeling that, okay, Flick's going to make some changes and Alfonso Davies came in and okay, I made some, this, you know, we made some mistakes and uh, we put ourselves in a hole, but we'll figure it out. And they have most often they have. And yet in this moment, they came up against a team that I think individually has the type of talent to make them pay much more so than anybody else that they face. Uh, especially when they when they lay themselves bare with the way that they play the spaces that they give the one-on-one well, -on -one type line, of situation yeah. so i mean that 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 is a problem for them but i i can't find anybody is there anybody out there that would be surprised if bayern munich overturned this no i don't think anybody because that's how good they are but they're going to have to find either another well or they're going to have to go back to the same well and find that there was a little bit at the bottom that they just missed this last time let me ask you about uh, that second Neymar assist, because that has spawned another did he mean to or not debate. You, you might recall in the semifinals of the Champions League last season, he had this outrageous back heel flick to Di Maria against Leipzig. And there was some debate on Twitter about whether he meant to do that or not. This time around, uh, he, he assisted Mbappe for the first goal. But then the second goal, uh, it was an assist from Neymar to Marquinhos. And there are some like Bastian Schweinsteiger who tweeted, said, that's one of the best assists I've ever seen in my life because they think Neymar dribbling backwards actually looked over and spotted Marquinhos making that run. And then with his weaker foot, the left foot played a beautiful curling pass to Marquinhos. There are others that say, no, he was just sort of lofting that pass in the direction of a bunch of PSG players. And it just sort of fortunately landed right at Marquinhos feet. Uh, where do you come down on that? Well, well wait a second. So <laughs> it's one thing if it's a shank that ends up being a pass, right? You're trying to, you're trying actually trying to shoot it and it ends up being a pass in that case you don't intend to do that if you are just kind of putting it in the direction of your teammates you still should get credit for being able to do that so i i i, I don't agree i i oh i well i don't agree with those that say that he shouldn't get credit for actually for actually doing it it reminds me whenever jeff hernandez our producer releases a rundown for this podcast and i see like some brilliant segue i'm always left to wonder did he think about that or did he just throw a bunch of topics on the page and just it luckily worked out and knowing jeff hernandez as i do i'm always inclined to think it was just luck but uh nevertheless uh those are the two tuesday games so yeah you mentioned wednesday just to whip through those quickly uh manchester city have left themselves quite a bit of work to do here uh they, they get a two nil i'm sorry two one home win over dortmund on the first leg needed a late phil foden goal and you know it's funny i uh i was bemoaning the fact that sancho being out robbed me of this great young englishman matchup but i still got one because jude bellingham started for dortmund and was fantastic including scoring a goal in the first half that was disallowed that a lot of people thought was a bad call did you see that play where he poked the ball away from ederson no no and, yeah, there was another, another con referee controversy there. But nevertheless, uh, City eke out a 2-1 win. They've been looking a little wobbly lately, and now they have to go to uh, Dortmund to try to protect that result. I still think they go through. They're the better team, but it's not going to be easy. Erlen Holland is due, by the way. He's having, by his standards, a little bit of a slump here. Uh, six straight games for club and country without a goal. So if he were ever to have a big breakout performance, uh, then all of a sudden City could be in some trouble here. 
No, they're not going to be in any trouble. They're going to be fine. <laughs> Don't you worry. And it's then lastly, be. I know, you, boy, you think Real Madrid, no problem. I know yeah, they played no great problem. in that first leg against Liverpool. Vinicius no had a real breakout performance with two goals. They take it three to one. Uh, now they go back to an empty Anfield, which is not the same proposition as if that place was, was rocking. And Liverpool, we know, have not been good uh, at home this season. But, man, those Real Madrid injury, injuries at the back give me some pause. Uh, I know Militão and Nacho have played great the last couple of games, but still, you're, you're putting basically a, a backup back line against that Liverpool attack, which is always dangerous with Salah and Jota and Mane. Again, so, again, I, I think the, Real Madrid... The blatant disrespect for Zinedine Zidane and this Real Madrid, <laughs> so, Madrid yeah, team. So I, just... I would lean Real Madrid, but I'm, I'm, I'm not that sure. You're, like, okay. bullish yeah. on it, right? Like 100%. Yeah, I'm bullish. I'm bullish on all, all three of those. And I'm still going to go with Bayern Munich finding a way to overturn it. So, so that would leave us with three English teams and Bayern Munich uh, if it goes that way. No. Real Madrid. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What the hell am I saying? Yeah. Uh, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, and then two English teams, yes. uh, Chelsea and Manchester yes. City. And che- Yeah. I mean, Chelsea finds itself, hey, look where we are. That's great, <laughs> which, is, which is great for them, great for Christian Pulisic, and uh, great for Tuchel and, uh, and Chelsea. All right. Anything else, Mossy? Uh, that is it. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. We'll come right back with uh, Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back. Uh, it's time for Ask Alexi. You send us in your questions out there, and we hope that you use that hashtag. You don't have to, though. And uh, we pick a few here, and we've actually thrown in a little twist uh, that we are going to have with our third question. So stay tuned. What do people want to know uh, this week, Moss? First up, Fernando Partridge uh, wants to know thoughts on the Rochester Rhinos. Yeah, so this was, you know, as we as we start to think about the history of our game uh, here in the United States, and there is a long storied history. Some of it is told, some of it is 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 untold. You know, when I was coming up, the Rochester Rhinos uh, and Rochester as a soccer mecca was beyond debate. This was a place that had a long history of professional soccer that had a history where the market uh, was above ground. It was a relevant sport. It was a relevant team with the Rhinos there. They were successful um, in, in open cup play and in, uh, in league play. And this was, this was at a time before major league soccer. And so when you started to think about smaller markets, and in this case, very small markets relative to others, this would have been, kind of a prime example for uh, for expansion or for a, a team. And yet it never really came to fruition in that they, they peaked too early. And as Major League Soccer came about in 1996, obviously they're going to look at bigger markets. And it just never got the, the recognition or that final step that I think if you had seen what it was at one time, you would have said, oh, yeah, in the future, that's certainly a place uh, th- that's going to happen. And, you know, it, it it's, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a, a once great city that just the rest of the world passed. And it's a little bit sad because of how important it was and how much it meant to uh, to soccer out there. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think that it, it can ever grab that back. I think the the game has moved on from your Rochesters and that's a pity because it was at the forefront. And when we talk about places and, and communities and markets being relevant, it was a place you wanted to go play because the, 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 the crowd 
uh, and the fan base there was educated. They uh, created an incredible environment there and players wanted to be there. And it's, it's no more. And it's a, uh, and it's a pity. Who knows? Maybe they can be great once again. But that's what I think about when I think of the Rochester Rhinos is a once great city, a once great team that the rest of the world has passed them by. What else, Masi? Uh, well, next one is this audio clip. Do you want to set this up? Let's do it. Let's do it at the end. Let's do the audio at the end. Oh, I'm sorry. The audio clip is the end. Uh, so the second question, which I love, I have, actually have thoughts on this as well. Um, Rowley Greenhall great name, uh, asks, can I ask you a somewhat unrelated question? Genuinely want to know. It seems like you kind of don't like DPL. Why? This is a fairly big game and you aren't watching. Uh, I'm not sure what game he was referring to this weekend, but uh, maybe you have more important things to do, but generally seems like you have something against the EPL. Okay. Uh, so Raleigh, I, I have nothing against the EPL. I, I watch it. I watch it on a consistent basis. I enjoy watching it. Uh, it provides me incredible amounts of uh, excitement and entertainment and content. Let's be honest. Uh, I don't watch every single game. So yes, there are other things in my life that are more important than actually watching every single soccer game out there. As much as I would like to be able to do that, I just, I don't have the time nor the inclination to, uh, to do something like that. And whether it's, you know, personal stuff, uh, you know, family, uh, other things out there, I would hope that you would, you would grant me the ability every once in a while to uh, miss a game here, here or there. And this was based off a tweet where I asked people what had happened because I woke up uh, and, you know, my, my Twitter feed was going nuts with, once again, the VAR consternation out there. And so I was asking for Twitter, as I often do, to inform me. Certainly, I could go and find out what it is, but I like, I like to be informed by others. And I find that that's a, a good, quick way and oftentimes the best way to actually get a grasp on what's going on as opposed to searching through and parsing out between stuff that's going on, uh, going out there. Um, the, the, the EPL and England, obviously, it is, it is a huge part of my history, um, the English game and English, English people when it comes to the game here has long been part of our American soccer culture and has impacted me along the way in numerous ways. And for the most part, incredibly, uh, incredibly positive. But as our culture and as our soccer culture has grown and this inevitable compare and contrast happens at different times, I like to at times point out the hypocrisy. And I like to at times point out how perception and reality can be very, very different things, especially when we're looking at and labeling as quote, the best, whatever that ultimately means. And Oftentimes, when I see things being pointed out, individual players, individual teams, narratives out there relative to, uh, you know, a, a league like the EPL, um, yeah, it, at times I do bristle because I'm I'm apt to say yes, but what if or why or you need to understand why this isn't necessarily true. What's being what's being said, and so maybe if that comes off as I don't like the league, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not sorry because it's, it's just the way that I the way that I act. But to your point, uh, I can honestly say that I enjoy. I I, know I I get up early in the morning and I watch. Uh, I I I love the theater and the performance aspect of it and the entertainment value that this EPL um, and this version of the EPL and the brand that they have created has provided me and so many others around the world. I am incredibly fascinated and you know, uh, amazed and respectful of, like I said, the men and women that have created this league that the world watches. 
and I am part of that world and I get excited. But if I see something that's BS uh, or if I see something that is being couched and um, that is being focused on or is being painted in a certain way that I don't feel is the actual reality of what's going on, I like to I like to point it out. And sometimes I try to point it out in a <laughs> an entertaining or witty or sarcastic or mocking type of way. And that's okay. Don't worry. EPL can can handle it. And um and I will continue to do so because because it's uh because it's fun. And that competition is only going to increase as we as we go on. And I, I think that there will come a time more and more in the future in the future where American soccer is not viewed as such a lesser or lower type of soccer when it comes to either the players that we have, the teams that we have, the leagues that we have, the culture that we have relative to what happens in the quote unquote best league in the world, which is right now uh, the EPL. Uh, you know, it's funny. I get this question sometimes to the extent that anybody cares what I think. I care. And uh, there, there's, there's a saying, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. And it is funny how we live in such a Premier League country that if you give equal attention to other top European leagues, you're accused of being a Premier League hater. There's just this assumption that the natural state of being is to give more attention to the Premier League. And, and that frustrates me. It, it's this constant battle I fought with uh, my producers back when I did the radio show on Sirius and with Alex Dowd and now with uh, Jeff Hernandez in putting together a rundown for a weekend review it always seems like there's more Premier League games than there are from any other league. And they, they throw some Premier League games on there where they would never throw the equivalent of that game from any other league. Oh, Everton beat West Ham this weekend. We got to talk about that. Well, you would never throw, hey, Real Sociedad beat Villarreal. Let's talk about that. And also, I'm supposed to care about Premier League relegation races and who's going to go down. Is it Newcastle or Fulham? Well, nobody cares about the relegation races in these other leagues. And so that does frustrate me. And yeah, something you mentioned is, you know, this whole eternal debate about which is the best league. I look at it as being cyclical. It's like conferences in college football and college basketball. It can change from year to year. And yet it does seem like Premier League fans think the Premier League can, can have this sort of best league in the world tag in perpetuity, and they don't actually have to back it up with any results. And there have been stretches in the last few years where other leagues clearly out, outperformed the Premier League in European competition. Spain had about a decade there where they were much better. And it seemed like every year you looked up and it was an all-Spanish Champions League final, or you had Sevilla or Atletico Madrid winning the Europa League. And yet you, you brought that up to Premier League fans that they didn't care. No, it's the best league. It's uh, and, uh, Until the results go their way in Europe. And then they're very quick to point to that as evidence that the Premier League is the best league. But when it doesn't, they may come out with another metric. Oh, no. Oh, but it's it's more about competitiveness and our 12th place team is better than their 12th place team. And so I admit that that frustrates me. And so over the years, yeah, I've come off a little bit anti-EPL, but it's just because I like to give the other leagues equal shrift. Well, Raleigh, it's a good question. Uh, and you're probably sitting there listening going, well, you you both may doth uh, protest too much. Uh, <laughs> and so maybe you have hit a nerve here when it comes to what we're talking about. But I I, I do think that both of us enjoy and and, and and at times love uh, the Premier League for, for what it is, but we can also point out uh, what it isn't. And we can be, we can focus in and admire everything around the world. And in doing so, that doesn't mean that we don't like um, or have something against uh, the Premier League. All right, we got one last question. And I mentioned last week that I want to try to do some things where we incorporate the actual voices of our listeners and our viewers out there. And so what I did was I asked a friend of mine, uh, an avid listener to the State of the Union podcast, if 
he had a question that he could send to me in audio form. My, my good friend, Brad Williams, and um, he is, as I said, an avid listener and a uh, watcher of this show. And he does his own podcast out there called Stuck in the 90s, er, Stuck in the 90s, Stuck in the 80s. And uh, it's great. And I listen to it every single week. Uh, he and his co-host, Steve Spears, uh, have this great podcast that focuses in on all 80s, whether it's music or uh, film or fashion out there, but he's also a huge, huge soccer fan. So you got Steve Spears, Spearsy, and Brad Williams, uh, otherwise known as Brad in LA, on that uh, on that podcast, and I recommend it highly. But anyway, he sent me a audio question uh, in a kind of beta test phase of what possibly could uh, happen going forward, where we where we set up something where you can actually send your question in an audio form, and then we put it in as we are about to do here. So let's hear what Brad had to ask of the State of the Union here. Take it, Brad. Hey, guys. Longtime listener, first-time caller. Alexi, you've been known to say that form is fallacy. But on last week's pod, you and Mossy were both quick to point to preseason form as a problem for MLS clubs in the CCL. So here's what I want to hashtag ask Alexi. Just how long does it take for preseason form to turn to fallacy? All right, Brad, that is a really good question. And a couple of things. One, I love that you listen to the pod. Two, I love that you have my greatest hits uh, on, uh, uh, on, on file right there. So the form is fallacy uh, hit. Uh, and I have, I've said that many, many times. Listen, we saw it again this weekend when it came to the U.S. Um, women's national team playing against Sweden. We saw Rose Lavelle, who is not a starter and has had trouble actually getting on the field uh, for Man City. And yet she comes in and she was the star of the game against uh, Sweden. And so a lot of times that's what I'm talking about in that just because a player is not playing well for their club team doesn't mean that when they get to the national team, they can't play well and even be the star. And by the way, the other side is, is true too. You can be starring for your national team and it just doesn't work when you, uh, starring for your club team and it just doesn't work when you get to the national team. And so when it comes to preseason, form is fallacy. You're absolutely right in that there, there comes a point where you're no longer in preseason. And you're right that Mossy and I were kind of giving a pass at times to teams and to players because they were in in this moment. I would say that you get a pass, I don't know, a couple weeks into the season, if you want a date, if you want a time limit where it's no longer uh, legitimate for you to lay your deficiencies or your weaknesses or your failures on the fact that you are, quote unquote, still you know, coming into a, a season. So it's a good question. And I don't know if I ultimately answered it. Mossy, I know he uh, he mentioned you in this too. Do you have anything to say on the uh, the formus fallacy thing in that when is that cutoff date for you where you no longer get to rely uh, or make an excuse that you are in quote unquote preseason form? Well, first off, I think he's conflating two different things. Uh, when you say form is fallacy, it's usually in the context of whether a player's club form should dictate whether he gets picked for the national team or not. That's the notion that, well, just because a guy's doing well at club level, it's not necessarily going to translate to the international team. So an international manager has to take other factors into account. A lot of people think, oh, it, sh it should be just based on club form and which guys are performing best at club level. So I think you mean form is fallacy in, in that respect. But yeah, th this whole question is interesting because we talk every year about the, the calendar and how it hurts 
uh, U.S. national team in some competitions, like we just saw in the Olympic qualifiers, and also MLS teams early in CCL. And then, and you know, the start of the season is right around the corner. And the question is, when is <laughs> when is, when do we stop saying that? And you know, when this next round of CCL comes along, and MLS teams will have played a game or two, is that? then is that excuse over or is one or two games not enough to get you back into normal shape? So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, that's, that's more a question for a, a former player, to be honest. I don't have any sense for that. How many, when you haven't played an official match for a while, how many games did, did it take you to kind of feel like you get totally back into the swing of things? I, I, I actually think that there is some connection to what he's talking about, even though, yes, I usually use it in terms of the form of your club and the form of the national team. I actually think there is some connection in that, I think that players and coaches and probably media and probably everybody out there uses it kind of as a crutch. It's not as if you forget how to play. And certainly in this day and age, yes, there is some rust. And yes, the preseason helps. But for the most part, these guys are keeping in shape and they are, they, they are playing. And so when these MLS teams go into CONCACAF Champions League, albeit in preseason, and they have success, it's... We, we kind of we, we, we couch it as in spite of the fact that they were in uh, in, in in preseason. But but no, the the form in this case, the form would be that you are not in form and, and you have a because you're in preseason. And that I at times is a legitimate excuse and something legitimate to po point to. But that they went then went out and got the results that they wanted. That's just, I think, another example of this label or this the way that we portray players or teams in that moment isn't necessarily the truth. And it doesn't mean that they can't actually function uh, despite the fact that they haven't had a lot of lead up time or they haven't been in preseason. And I, like I said, I think oftentimes it's used as a, uh, as a crutch, not always, but I oftentimes, I think we just, we throw it out there and said, yes, but they were, they were in preseason. Well, we just showed here that MLS teams can go in and do some, some, some great things, even though they are in preseason. And what will end up being the narrative is that they did it in spite of being in preseason, as opposed to they're just good players and they're good teams. And ultimately they were better and they would be better in the day that they played and they will be better six months from now. And they would be better even though they played in the middle of their off season. All right, Mossy, anything else? That's it. All right, listen, uh, thank you to Brad, uh, first and foremost, for sending in that audio clip. And we might look to try to establish that much more so going forward. So we can give you guys a little bit of love. And it's interesting to hear people as opposed to just see it, see it typed out. And, you know, there's nuances and different stuff out there. And, you know, it's also good for the ego out there. Uh, if anybody really cares about ever being on the State of the Union podcast. Well, congratulations, Brad. You are the first person in recorded history to ever uh, be a part of the podcast in the Ask Alexi segment in the audio form. So we'll see if this sticks uh, going forward. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, I will have my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back, and it's the end of the show. Uh, a longer show this week. We appreciate you hanging out with us, and uh, we covered a lot of different things out there. I was talking to a friend of mine, actually, who said he, he enjoys the fact that, that we put those, you know, the, uh, the show rundown in the notes because it gives him an opportunity to look forward to what we're talking about. And also he can kind of pick and choose a la carte as to what he wants to listen to and maybe what he doesn't want to listen to, listen to especially when it's a longer type uh, of podcast. But anyway, we're at the end of the show. And at the end of each show, I give you my one for the road. And this week, it's a celebration. It's a happy birthday celebration to 
Soccer America. Soccer America, for those of you that don't know, is and has been for the last 50 years a soccer magazine. Obviously, it has become much more of a digital form in the age that we are living in right now. But back in the day, it actually started out as you know almost a underground fanzine type of thing. And for those of us that grew up in the, in the 80s and 90s, it was the Bible. It was required reading. It was that weekly or monthly type of situation uh, where you would go to your mailbox and it would be there, or you would go to the local soccer store and you would pick up a copy. And it was... If you were anybody, you were in Soccer America. And for a player to be on the cover, it was huge. And it was, yes, a small group, but it was that small group of soccer people that at that, at that point, when Soccer America started out, were, were kind of living underground. And with the help of Soccer America, it became much more uh, above ground and it spread out. But this was still where everybody went for their information as to what was going on. And as the world has changed and the soccer world has changed, Soccer America has tried to grow with it uh, to some success and uh, you know, some, also some problems along the way. But the fact that many, many years ago, this was something that was started with an eye to the future and it has grown with the game and the importance that it had on on me and so many others in our industry at a time when it was difficult to find information. It was difficult to know what was going on. I know now it's all instantaneous and at our fingertips, but that wasn't the case. And you held on to this as a prized possession and you opened and looked at every single page and digested it. And whether it was the actual stories or the pictures or the advertisements or whatever it ended up being, you read it from cover uh, all the way through to the end, and you read absolutely every single thing. And that's how important it was uh, to the sport of soccer. And so thank you. Thank you to Soccer America for keeping that alive at a time when it was very, very difficult to do so. And it for, for many that worked over there over the years, it was a labor of love, and it was difficult. And it was it, and it was challenging, especially as the world has changed and changed even in the uh, in the moments there. So happy birthday, happy fiftieth birthday uh, to Soccer America! And I was, you know, I, I think I told you, Mossy, over the last couple of months, uh, I moved, and I pulled out all of this different stuff, and there were all of these old magazines and even old Soccer Americas, and just the feel and the sight and the smell of them brought back warm and fuzzy type of memories uh, for uh, uh, for me. And, you know, I had the incredible pl uh, privilege and, and pleasure of being part of those, whether it's stories or whether it's pictures over there. And to see that in that old type of type of form was just just amazing. And it brought me back uh, to a time when soccer was very, very different. But uh, you need those champions. And Soccer America has always been a champion of American soccer, obviously, of the American soccer player, and of this, you know, this amazing culture that we have, uh, you know, that we have created and continues to grow. And they have documented it all along the way in a truly fascinating and, and, and wonderful way. So uh, thank you. And, and as I said, happy birthday to Soccer America. Mossy, anything else before we go? That is it. 
All right. A longer show today, as I said. Uh, thank you for uh, staying with us uh, throughout. Uh, thanks to Stu and Mo for jumping on. MLS kicking off this week. NWSL uh, and the Challenge Cup in full swing. As we mentioned, both CONCACAF Champions League and uh, UEFA Champions League roll on this week. So we'll have plenty to talk about uh, next week. We thank you for tuning in and for subscribing and for reviewing and for rating and downloading and doing all the different things that you do out there. We will talk again next week here on the State of the Union podcast. And until then, and as always, size the day. We'll be right back.